Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. And welcome to episode one. Glad you joined us. Yeah, hopefully somebody's out there. Exactly. <laughs> there's, a, there's at least one person listening. Yeah, you're, we, my, you're my main wrestling buddy, so that's why we're here together right exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> and we just, we literally got together and we're like, you know what? We watched all the modern stuff, but let's go back to the dawn of the modern ages, basically. The age of the pay-per-view. And watch the evolution. That's the, that's the buzzword in wrestling right yeah, now, yeah. right? The evolution. The evolution. Uh, the evolution of wrestling. But we're going to have fun. We're going to try to pepper it in, yeah. That's, that's what we like to do. We like to have fun. We like to talk wrestling. We're not about the star ratings because... I'm not qualified. We're, we're, not, we're not those guys. We like what we like. We're going to talk about what we like in each match and what we dislike in each match and just fun little bits and whatnot. So episode one means you got to go all the way back to 1983. To 1983. Let me set the stage for 1983. Christmas Story the movie had just been released. Michael Jackson's Thriller music video would premiere the next week. Oh, really? Exactly. Thriller was 83. Thriller was 83. Now, to put this in even more context, what year were you born, Matt? I was born in 1981. Okay. For some reason, I thought you were a little bit younger than that. I was born in 87. So there's a, bit, a little bit of a age difference between us, but So how does it, really. it feel watching something that's older than you? Oh, I don't know. I watch a lot of stuff older than me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they're like, especially watching this, because like a lot of the movies and stuff that I'll watch that are older have... You know, been uh, been uh, like you know uh, cleaned up, and they don't. Yeah, but watching Starcade '83, a flare <laughs> for the gold. It. Uh, hmm, I wonder. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder who's going to be in the main event on this one. Uh, yeah. Who, who? Yeah. Who knows? Spoiler alert. Starcade was produced by the NWA under Jim Crockett Productions on November twenty fourth, nineteen eighty three, at the Greensboro Coliseum in none other than Greensboro, North Carolina, and was broadcast on closed-circuit television across the southern United States. What's the difference between like a pay-per-view and a closed-circuit So, closed-circuit was basically, they, they were filming it and they were throwing it out, it, just like pay-per-view, but it was just to certain locations. You couldn't just sit at home and call up your cable company at that time and go, hey, I want that. It was more to, like other arenas or nowadays you would see uh, movie theaters oh yeah where the, they do like that's like they do the concerts or stuff yeah or broadcasting a play or they do the like exactly. msc3k guys do the thing exactly um, that's basically closed circuit okay. television and that's basically kind of what it was like so people were going to other places to watch this like they yeah okay so if they couldn't make it to Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm sure that a lot of people didn't make it there. A lot of people didn't make it. A lot of people didn't even make it to the closed circuit television sites because there was a bad winter storm during this Thanksgiving. Because this was this was done during. I don't know if it was actually on Thanksgiving, but it was around the Thanksgiving time because it was November 24th. Yeah, yeah. 
The attendance of Starcade was actually less than 16,000, and the closed circuit attendance was only about 30,000. Because of that winter storm, a lot of people just couldn't get to the, the, loca- yeah, the locations. Where were they having these these like viewings of the, I mean, the thing? I mean, there's an Abu- uh, Duel of the Butcher and Carlos Colon match that they moved from Puerto Rico to Starcade. Uh-huh. So Puerto Rico had a closed circuit audience. What was the venue for like the closed circuit? Not sure. I'm not real I sure think. on that. Yeah, one. I could I couldn't find that information. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I was but like, I, I mean, wonder if it was like a bar that was like we got. But I feel, got I, eight I feel like there were some other arenas that were doing it. Really? You know, probably places like the Omni, possibly in Atlanta, because that was a huge place that they ran shows back then. Yeah. In Florida, there was probably because basically you know Jim Proc- Jim Crockett Productions, basically Georgia, Florida, that area was big. But then it also expanded across to, I, I'm sure there was probably places in Oklahoma, which, by the oh, way, yeah, is, obviously Oklahoma uh, definitely has quite a bit of I guess, wrestling history. I guess, we should, I, guess are, yeah. I guess we should also mention, we're from Oklahoma. Yeah. So we're steeped in some very rich rich, rich history yeah. that's unfortunately has kind of fallen to the to the wayside. Yeah, there's not, I can't say that, yeah. There's not a booming scene in Oklahoma anymore. <laughs> no. As I was saying, the NWA kind of only operated in within their territories. So Jim Crockett Productions. I mean, there was little NWA territories everywhere. But they kind of decided, hey, we need to kind of get all together and be one force, which was what the NWA was kind of all built to do. And WWF at this time was starting to affect business. as So they created Starcade. Basically, to, band together to band together to compete by bringing together wrestlers from the multiple territories. Yeah, all the hottest guys from all. To the basically territories. have one super card. One interesting note that I found on the show before we kind of get into it: the Booker of the show. It's kind of a disputed thing. We all we all know that history is written that it's Dusty Dusty, right? Dusty Rhodes wrote got came up with the name Starcade. And the and thought Flair process, for the gold too, right? and Flair for the gold, exactly. The thought process is that he was actually the booker of the show, but it was actually Dory Funk Jr. And this was kind of verified by Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, which is one of the, depending on your opinion, <laughs> yeah, he's... is one of the more established news sources in wrestling. I think he does a good job. So I can, if yeah, you, if you yeah. don't like people who uh, reference Dave Meltzer. Yeah, it was. You kind of can't. Get I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you that you can probably turn this yeah. off. I mean, you can. It's gonna happen. It'll happen for sure. But he's one of those guys where it's always a kernel of truth, and he does always editorialize. But you know, you should take anything like that with a grain of salt. So, exactly, exactly. We're just gonna kind of go through every match in the sh- on Starcade '83, uh, match by match. Just kind of give our opinions. See, yeah. See where we like. Oh uh, yeah, what what was what, what you liked about it? What you didn't like about it? Some of these uh, probably isn't, there isn't a lot to say. Probably Sometimes, not. yeah, but it is fun. It is uh, it's fun, especially with these early '80s finishes. Exactly. <laughs> so starting off, match number one, we have the Assassins, which was Assassin number one, and Assassin number two. They also had Paul Jones in their corner versus Rufus R. Jones. And Bugsy McGraw. Now, little history before we jump into the match itself. The current rendition of the Assassins at this time was Jody Hamilton 
and Hercules Hernandez. Uh, was Hercules the big assassin? He was Hercules was number two. He was the bigger of the two guys. He would later go on and have a run in WWF. So we'll talk more about him in later episodes. But Jody Hamilton actually started the WCW power plant, the training facility that turned out guys like Bill Goldberg and, I mean, he's the biggest name that ever really came out of there. Yeah. But he, he, the WCW power plant was the NXT for WCW, WCW basically, the performance center. And because of that, Jody Hamilton is actually a WCW Hall of Famer. WCW actually had a Hall of Fame as well. Did all did everybody in the WCW Hall of Fame get just like thrown in the WWE one when they were acquired? Not, not all of them, no. I didn't think that not that would be the case. Also, I found that one of the opponents, Rufus R. Freight Train Jones, was actually inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2018. Oh, really? Just last year. That's great. That's uh, my first note in this match is that uh, Rufus Jones has shaky limbs and it's amazing. He is for these older guys, like for these older cards, he has some of the more personality. Uh, absolutely. In the ring for absolutely. Sure. So there was actually a little bit of a story, storyline going into this match. Like some of these, some of these older matches we have found that some of them just don't have storylines. Yeah. They just like, ah, oh, we need, we need two guys to, I mean, there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't booking. Wasn't nearly as long term. There wasn't weekly TV shows. None of them were alive. Exactly. But there was a story behind this match. Paul Jones used to do a gimmick, the manager of the Assassins. He would do a gimmick where he would give away a large poster of himself to someone in the crowd. Like a standee or like a, like a like just flat a, poster? Like a flat poster. Oh, man. With, of him in his tuxedo. Because he loved wearing his tuxedo. If you're, a, if you're a manager, not in a tuxedo. Are you a manager? Is Miss Elizabeth <laughs> a manager then? Yes. She, yes. <laughs> yes. So, one night, the winner was an attractive young woman. As she came to claim her prize, she attempted to kiss Paul Jones as a way of thanking him. But Paul Jones backed away and began to berate her. Such a heel move, right? <laughs> heel move. Was what? Yeah, I, I wonder what he said. <laughs> I can't imagine it was very nice. So, Rufus R. Jones comes to the lady's rescue... And when was then attacked by Paul Jones. So you had Rufus and Paul Jones at odds. So Paul Jones gets the assassins and is like, we're taking on Rufus Jones. Rufus Jones, when, and here's the thing. And I'm going to tell you, there's two interesting pieces of information that are going to come from this match alone. But I'm only going to tell you one of them right now. Because the other one comes in a later match. Mark Youngblood was supposed to be Rufus R. Jones's tag team partner in this match, okay. or on the original advertisement for Starcade. But Mark Youngblood is in a later match. I wonder who who he replaced in that later match. We'll find out later. I love how um, how much research you've done, Matt. This is so so very impressive. It's called a tease. Got to keep him <laughs> yeah, coming back. From you're more. great at it. You're, you're kind of blowing my mind over here. So. Like you said, Rufus Jones and even Bugsy, I thought they they, they love to dance. Yeah, they look they look good in the ring for sure. It's uh, it's a, a fun way to fun way to start off. I was like, oh, I was expecting a bunch of a bunch of big guys like standing around. I figured, of course, you're gonna get some some fun stuff out of uh, Dusty and 
Ric Flair, but starting on the undercard with uh, Rufus Jones' shaky, shaky legs, uh, I was immediately entertained. Agreed. And I actually had this thought, if you wear a mask, does that automatically mean someone has to try and take it off? I don't know. Like, what's lucha culture like in 83? <laughs> well, and here's the thing. Neither, I mean, I guess Hercules Hernandez is, is Hispanic, but Jody Hamilton isn't. So, no. like, like, why are you even wearing a mask at this point? Like, that's just been, a, that was literally his gimmick yeah. for I mean, like, the what longest is, time. Like, yeah, like, does Liger wear a mask the same way that a lucha wears a mask? Or does Liger wear a mask because he's Liger? It's a chicken or egg question. <laughs> chicken or egg I just question. don't know. But during this match, Rufus and Bugsy basically got all of the offense in, which is kind of weird since the Assassins are the heel team. Yeah, and they're quite a bit uh, bigger. Exactly. And the finish, I'm going to the finish. You're do going you have, to the finish already? Do you have anything I'm to, else? Like, oh, man. These older matches are quite a bit slower. I remember Rufus Jones had uh, had quite a, a headbutt, and they... Uh, and he did have a headbutt. He did have quite a headbutt for sure, and there was a couple of uh, like backdrops, but there's nothing particularly exciting about this match. No, I mean it was basically your, it's let's punch a few times. There was really no technical wrestling at all, from what I remember. Yeah, there was a there was um, some shaky limb shaky limb hot tag that was nice. But that was just Ruf- Rufus is uh, when we do, like he's not performative the whole time. But when he does uh, when he does dance, uh, it is definitely the most entertaining thing probably in this match. Moving on to the finish, all of a sudden, Assassin One grabs Rufus, gets the schoolboy roll up, and it's one two three. I actually had to rewind the tape because Assassin Two was in the match, facing Rufus at this point. Assassin 2 is, was the legal man? Is that what you're saying? He was, I thought he was the legal... I, I had to rewind the tape. Because <laughs> I was just like, wait a second. How did Assassin 1 become the legal man? And I'm like... Because like, these guys were sticklers for the rules back in like the early 80s. You say that. I say... I mean... <laughs> we're going to see how much of a stickler some of these referees were later in this, later in this card. But yeah, it was just like... I was like, how did Assassin 1 become the legal man? I was just like, what's going on? What's going on? But... Assassins get the one, two, three on the school bowl roll up. And then we head to our commentators for the evening. Bob Cottle and Gordon Soley. I could never I could never get their names down. I was watching it. I do love all of the very young Tony Schiavone in the back. Oh my god, how young <laughs> was he in this? Oh uh, yeah, he looks like he just got yeah. It looks like he just like cashed his first paycheck. <laughs> Literally, yeah. he looked like he was 19, 20 years old at this point. A little information about Bob Cottle. He was actually the official voice of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling and was the lead announcer for many of the early NWA closed circuit and pay-per-views. So we'll see more, some more Bob Cottle as we go forward. Uh, Gordon Solit was the play-by-play announcer for many promotions, including Georgia, Florida, and ultimately World Championship Wrestling. Um, he is regarded as one of the most, uh, as one of the greatest and most influential announcers, influencing even Jim Ross. He, he, Jim Ross considers him one of his yeah. mentors, basically. Gordon Soley has been inducted into the NWA, WCW, Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. Sidebar: What's the most? What's the like? 
most prestigious of the Hall of Fames? Would it be the professional wrestling or the WWE? Like, I mean, the other one's just like the Melter Fest. And the WCW one. I mean, the WWE feels just like, a, like, oh, we're good with this guy. Yeah. Get a pop for him. If anything, I, I almost think the Wrestling Observer Newsletter might be the. You think so? Just because, like I said, I'm, I'm just a, curious. I'm a fan of Dave Meltzer. I, I mean, he's been doing this for a long, long time. It's pretty crazy uh, and, how long and how involved he is. I don't know if he's ever done anything but be a wrestling fan. So, I mean, and I feel like he's not going to put someone into his, air quotes, Hall, Hall of, of Fame, fame yeah. without it actually being deserved. You know, yeah. it's not like someone's going to pay money under the table and be like, hey, put me in your Hall of Fame. Yeah. That yeah. kind of thing, so. I was just, I'm just curious, because I mean, Hall, Hall of Fames are weird to me. Awards I mean, are weird to me. Th- so, like, well, when you think about it, a Hall of Fame for a sports entertainment. Yeah. What was the, like, the professional wrestling one? Is it sports entertainment, or is it, like, wrestling? It's a professional wrestling. But here's the thing. We all know that professional wrestling is a work. Yeah. So, therefore... Technically, is anybody really good enough to be in a <laughs> Hall of Fame? You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, like you said, Tony Schiavone back in the locker room with the the faces, Flair, Piper, Steamboat, and Youngblood. You know, just like, hey, here they are. This is not the, the golden era of promos. No. <laughs> yeah, these are not these are not the best Ric Flair promos by any means. Absolutely not. I, they They're all pretty this. straight. They all say, "Oh, I've been I've been working hard." Like you know, yeah. I'm ready. They don't put a, put them put these themselves over about being the best as much. Of course, Harley Race does a little bit. But let's move on to the second match. We got Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin with their manager Gary Hart versus Scott McGee and Johnny Weaver. Uh, so Mark Lewin is actually inducted into the Professional Wrestling and Wrestling Observer Hall of Fames. Gary Hart uh, was actually known mostly as a manager and booker of World Class Championship Wrestling. Um, has been inducted into the NWA Professional Wrestling and Wrestling Observer Hall of Fames. And then Johnny Weaver is actually credited with being the first wrestler to use the sleeper hold uh-huh. as his finisher. Interesting. Yeah, totally. Like I said, some some matches have stories, some don't. This one does not. <laughs> yeah, it's, this yeah. is like this is your uh, this is the hey, we got these four guys that are pretty talented. Let's put them in a match did, together. Do these didn't these guys didn't regularly tag together, did they? Um, Sullivan and Lewin, I believe, had just kind of started. Yeah, and Weaver and McGee had Weaver. Weaver at this point was kind of at the tail end of his career. I imagine that half of like Sullivan and Lewin are, and uh, are probably from a particular territory, and then Weaver and McGee are. Like, that, that's because, what I figure. Yeah. Is exactly what it is. I know Weaver was at the end of his career, and McGee was he was kind of grooming McGee, helping him get basically being his mentor kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah. So into the match. Thoughts there. Well, I mean, the, like, what are some the, high spots yeah. and rest holds that you got, brother? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, Sullivan and Lewin are the heels in this match, right? I mean, I remember McGee. He did a really cool spot where he was in an arm wrench, and he like did a step over the head of Lewin to leg drop the arm. Oh, nice! I was just like, I've never seen this move before, and I'm now seeing it in a match in 1983. I loved. I love the old distract the ref as the face team makes the tag trick. Yeah. The, it's a classic. Yeah. What would a wrestling match be without without a easily duped ref? 
Exactly. Um, we had Sullivan and Lewin kind of tagging in and out at will almost too quickly. Yeah, there was a lot of lot of quick tags. It was like, let me hit him once, tag. Yeah. Hit him once, tag. Hit him once, tag. And it was, I was kind of like, okay, okay guys. Yeah, yeah. Like, do, do a little I bit more it. offense. Like, yeah. The, like, a lot of the storytelling uh, in these older matches is kind of beat, they beat you over the head with it. Yeah, a little bit. Um, for sure. But also, like, you know, a lot of the stuff, there's, there's not as many cameras for sure. And, um, you know, people in the venue... They're not getting a camera feed, so I feel like doing things uh, bigger or more often is probably easier to tell a story in a live setting. Exactly. Weaver did a running bulldog at one point, uh, tried another, and they end up getting shoved into the corner. And Sullivan and Lewin were then able to hit a knee from the top rope onto Weaver's arm, which brought on the one, two, three. All right, and I know that there was um, some color in this match, right? Yeah, post match. Post match. Is it post match? Like, oh, Gary, Gary Hart. Hart. Yeah, Gary, Gary Hart, Hart threw a spike of some sort to Lewin. The foreign object. Yeah. Which I love about this old wrestling is it's always of a foreign object, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, they never say what it is. It's always a foreign object. But there's uh, quite a bit. I mean, they literally started stabbing McGee in the face. Oh yeah, no, the blading in all of uh, most of these shows, like. That is done from one opponent to the other is very, very gruesome. <laughs> yes, very much so. Yeah. And then Angela Mosca, who I guess he went by King Kong Mosca back then. I have no clue why he ran out at this point. Because like I said, I had no like I couldn't find a reason why this match was happening other than it was just yeah, a match this isn't like the this the shows like this don't have giant packages before the match exactly. that like set them up for you. Um, it's not feels more like boxing show. They just tell you, hey, these two are uh, yeah. good fighters, and they're going to go at it. Yeah, the commentating's like definitely more dry, and more like it's basically like two play-by-play guys at the same time. Exactly. Angelo, like I said, Angelo Mosca came out, makes the, tries to make the save. He ends up getting stabbed in the arm for his efforts. And I guess he's supposed to referee later in the show. Oh, yeah. Is he going to be able to still referee with a stabbed arm? Bob and Gordon just don't know. Like, they bring that up. Like, is he going to be able to? I love their amazement at this. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's always another ref. Then we get to go to Barbara Clary, who's in the crowd talking to, talking to the people. And the first people she talks to traveled a whole... 180 oh. miles. Is that the two, the two women with big hair? No, this was the family. Okay. The family that, like, like, how far did you drive in? Oh, we'll yeah. travel oh, 180 yeah. miles. Yeah, he was very, like, very southern accent. Like, um, uh, all right, cool, 180 miles, sweet, man. Hey, I mean, you know. Uh, but they but they all love their Ric Flair. Oh. They did love their Ric Flair. There's a reason he's at the top of the car. Then it gets kicked over to Tony. Now he's lounging in the locker room with the heels. Harley Race, Greg Valentine, and the Briscoe Brothers. Yeah, there's not a whole, like, Harley Race basically just says he's been learning Rick's spots. Yeah. He's studying Rick's tape, like, donning a fantastic afro and a fantastic uh, set of chops. You can't go wrong with the Harley Race chops and fro. <laughs> no. It was great. And I love the the, the giant uh, collars on all of the early 80s, late 70s Yeah, because um, I'm like, this is 1983, jackets. so we're still talking set late it's 70s basic, Yeah, it's basically fashion. still the 70s. It's still the 70s. 
So moving on to our third match, we got Abdullah the Butcher versus Carlos Colon. And this is our first and only squash? Was it a squash? Did you consider it a squash match? I, I don't know that anything happened in this match but some uh, blading. A little bit of backstory here. Abdullah is considered one of the... He had the reputation for being involved in some of the most violent and bloody oh, hardcore matches yeah, if, ever. If you have not seen this uh, this man, do a quick Google search, and I'm sure that you will be like, "Oh, that guy, You'll the find guy, him with the, some the guy with the Rocky Mountains for a forehead." Because back then they didn't like. I don't know if there's a correct way to blade. That's kind of gruesome to say in the first place. But his forehead looked like a cut scar know, tissue over know, and over again think, with a cheese grater. I think it was and just let Mick it Foley said at one point that he had a. That Abdullah had a slot in his head that you could literally stick a quarter. In. Oh, you can you can see it even in the bad quality of these like this low quality of the technology of the time. Like on, yeah, it's rough. You could have probably put a whole poker hand in the divots in his forehead, and it would have held held up. Ace high. <laughs> uh, Carlos Colones most notably started the Puerto Rican wrestling promotion, the World Wrestling Council, where he held the title twenty six times. Has anybody ever had a um, stable called the Council because that sounds great. I can't remember, <laughs> but we're going through the history, so yeah, we we'll, might just we'll find f- out. We just might find out at some point. Um, and he has actually been inducted into the WWE and Wrestling Observer Newsletters Hall of Fames. Uh, the story behind this match, at least a little bit of one. Uh, basically, these two guys have had a blood feud that have been going on for. 10 years. Is it one of those ones where it's been going on so long nobody remembers why it started kind of thing? Basically. Kayfabe wise, the feud had become too violent for Puerto Rico so Jim Crockett brought it to Starcade in North Carolina. Bring out the blades, baby. Literally this match is like five minutes long. See, I guess, I mean, I don't know. Was there, how long does it have to be to be, how short does it have to be to be a squash match? I mean, but I feel like there was offense both ways, so yeah. I don't feel like it was a squash match that way. That's true. But literally, like, Clone pulls a s- spike, or basically... It, they, looks like a, it, it, looked, it looks like a fork wrapped in a lot of tape. It looked like right? the same exact thing that they had just used. We're kind of like, oh yeah, I hope against it Scott, <laughs> oh, I, Scott McGee. I hope they at least poured it in some alcohol. But it kind of looks like a like a, like a a muddler for like making a cocktail, but like exactly. covered in like masking tape. Exactly. And I can't quite see where the sharp thing is. You know, they're definitely bleeding. But he pulled it out of Abby's trunks and began to open Abby up. So the question I have, does this mean, because if you watch the beginning of the matches, the refs oh, were always does che- happen. They were always checking the boots and <laughs> yeah. whatnot. Did he just forget to check Abby's trunks? I guess they don't check the, I guess they just don't check the trunks, man. And did they actually announce this as a non-DQ match? Because literally he was hitting him with this foreign object in front of the referee. Yeah, that... That happens. This one was like the the like we got our two tag matches in, and they're like we're gonna get some color to get like the crowd excited. Exactly. It's definitely they did they wanted to make sure that it wasn't the like the the piss match yet. <laughs> they're like, all right, if they bleed, they'll stay seated. So basically, after they've tore each other up with the foreign object a little bit, we actually yeah. we actually get a little bit of wrestling. We get some biting too. We, we get a little smidge of wrestling here. I don't here. remember who does the biting. Um, I'm pretty sure Abby bit Abby, Cologne's head. Yeah, I would be um, more than in character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a knee lift and a standing leg drop gets a two count, but then Abdullah throws Cologne onto the ref, which obviously... And then the, there's an accidental elbow drop 
that Abby tries to drop on Cologne and ends up hitting the ref. So now the ref is out. Get the ref bump. Because, you know, we already have blood. Yeah, so, if you're going to have blood, you might as well have a ref bump. So then Cologne delivers a drop kick and hooks in the figure four. And then I'm, I'm always surprised in these old matches how many times you get a figure four. It was like the only submission was it, yeah. submission that anyone knew. And here's the it was other like, thing. I think was, it every, was it everybody's finisher? Or has it just not been that so. yet? But here's the other thing. You are doing a pay-per-view with Flair's... Closed circuit television. <laughs> Touche. You're doing this with Flair as your main event. And his finisher is the figure four. Should you not book this show better to not have another figure four on it? Well, yeah, who are we blaming? Are we blaming Dusty, or who are we blaming... I'm blaming Dory Funk Jr. Dory Funk Jr. And just, which, where in the Funk lineage is Dory Funk? Is... He's Terry's brother? Okay, so his, like, older brother? I yeah. imagine he's definitely not his younger brother. Yeah, I believe so. We'll find out more about the Funks at some point. Just not today. Yeah, I'm not super uh, up on my Funk knowledge. So, figure four is locked in, and then who gets into the ring... But future WWE Spanish announcer Hugo Savinovich, looking much more swell, than he did than he did when he was Spanish announcer for WWE, and breaks up the hold, rolls Abby on top of Cologne. All of a sudden, oh look who's awake! The ref. One, two, three. So is he? Uh, Abdullah's manager. What was his? What was, was his? Thing. Was his? What did he have a dog in this fight? Like he technically didn't walk out with Abdullah. He was just kind of there, like no clue. Yeah. Why? Maybe. Why anything? Maybe the ref bump was real. Maybe it was. <laughs> maybe it was. Has there ever been any ref blading? I'm sure they're at some. <laughs> That's gnarly. So then we head back to the back again. Tony Shivani interviewing Angelo Mosca. Mosca throws, can't believe they did this to me, but I'm still behind Ric Flair. That kind of promo. But the best part about this entire thing was they pan out and Scott McGee looks dead in the corner <laughs> and no one's attending to him. Can, can, can we get him a doctor? Yeah, yeah. Can we get him to the hospital? Like, he looks dead. Where's the, where's the blue ice pack? Exactly. Then we get, we go to Beverly Back in the crowd. Now we get your two ladies uh, with the big hair. And they're both very excited about Ric Flair. They're both excited about Ric Flair. But my favorite part of this one is that they were from Raleigh, South Carolina. Which is, wait, what, next door? Which there is not a Raleigh, South Carolina. They said South Carolina. And they're from South Carolina. And they were, they meant Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. It was just one of those like, hey, Barbara, make sure you say the right thing next time. yeah. Maybe uh, maybe they couldn't find anybody that wanted to be interviewed, and they, uh, they, <laughs> exactly. they, they these ladies were scripted. Exactly. I do love seeing the old uh, crowds in these shows. Just think about watching one of these shows and being like, oh, that's my mom. Yeah, really. How crazy would that be? My mom definitely has not been to any wrestling matches. I doubt my mom has either. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to the fourth match, Bob Orton Jr. and Dick Slater... Versus Mark Youngblood and Wahoo McDaniel. Nine minutes with the RKO finish. Out of nowhere. <laughs> Bob Orton, one of the first wrestlers to use the superplex as a finisher. And he's also a WWE Hall of Famer. 
He's also probably more famously known to our generation as the father of Randy Orton. And then Wahoo McDaniel. He's actually a Choctaw, Chickasha, Native American. And he is an Oklahoma boy. Played at the University of Oklahoma and then in the American Football League. That was before the National Football League. Is it Mark Youngblood that has the uh, OU trunks? No. Okay. No, that would have been... One of the Briscoes? Yeah. The Briscoes are from OSU, right? They're from OSU. Did one of them have OU trunks in this match? It may have been um, Starkid 84. Okay. (laughs) But here's the thing about Wahoo. McDaniel. His gimmick, which is basically the name Wahoo, actually came from when he was playing football. He would make a tackle, and the PA announcer would would yell, or say, tackle made by who? And the crowd would yell... Wah? Who? <laughs> is that a... But they only did that for him? They only did uh, it that, for him. That sounds like a like it was, a crowd preci- precipitation, yeah, participation thing that would happen all the time. You'd think so in football. But yeah. it like, literally never happens anymore. But Wahoo McDaniel has been inducted into the NWA, Professional Wrestling, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. Who of these people have not been in a Hall of Fame? Dick Slater and Mark Youngblood are not. Oh, really? Yeah. So the story behind this match was, and it kind of ties into the main event. So Harley Race put out a bounty oh, on yeah. Ric Flair. I forgot. How much was the bounty for? 25000 God, that's such a lie. That's a lot of money back in 1983, <laughs> though. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> like, but yeah, the, I love, it's like, these guys weren't making that much. It's, no. it, it's so funny. But Bob Orton and Dick Slater took the bounty. They actually hurt Flair. And Wahoo is... Trying to get payback on Orton and Slater in defense of Flair. Yeah, for his buddy. Where's Youngblood fitting on this? Or remember how I told you at the very beginning, Mark Youngblood was supposed to be in that first match. He was uh, advertising the first match. Yeah. They moved him because they someone fell through, and that person was Hulk Hogan. Oh, really? Hulk Hogan was supposed to be Wahoo McDaniel's a very, a very, tag team partner in this match. That would have been. That would have been. Um, Quite a piece of, I mean, of course the the knowledge you just sprung on me is a pretty big piece of wrestling history. But if Hulk Hogan was in the first like major event that exactly. was a televised wrestling event, that's pretty. Uh, that would been pretty awesome. Exactly. So so instead of Hogan and Wahoo, do you know why Hogan wasn't there? I do not. Yeah. I just found out that I mean, like, I just are, I saw yeah. the original advertising and saw that Hogan was advertised. To be yeah, Wahoo's partner. The, uh, yeah, card subject to change, my exactly, friend. Exactly. So instead, we get the great Indians versus Cowboys match. Oh, yes. And we also start getting the wonderful 80s graphics as well. This oh, is when they started, fades? Do, they started doing the fade ins with the mm-hmm. graphics and doing the pictures of them in the back. And it was like the cheesiest pictures ever. Oh yeah, I love that. Uh, there's honestly not enough of that, but I'm gonna get plenty of it as we as we uh, trudge through <laughs> these uh, '80s shows. Ring announcer, as he's leaving the ring, he's just like, "Oh, oh, hey, guess what, guys? Dusty Rhodes is here." But then his mic cuts out, and the yeah. cameras never find Dusty Rhodes. So it seemed really pointless. <laughs> At the time. Oh, that's not the one. There's, an, I know there's an interview where the there's mic, an interview after the match. Yeah, where his mic cuts out too. Yeah, and it's such a bummer because I'm so excited for any any time Dusty talks. Exactly. And uh, yeah, for it to cut out. 
But this match was uh, super fun, actually. I, I really enjoyed it. At one point, Dick Slater was... It was kind of like he was holding Mark Youngblood's legs. Like he was going to put like a figure four, basically, on. Like So he's holding them. Yeah. And instead, he did a flip, like a, a backflip, on top of him to use as a pinning situation. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I was like... So, like, so to a... Almost like, to a, like a... To, like, a bridge? No, it was almost just, like, laying, like, just flipped right on top of him. Almost like a senton flip oh, okay. onto him. And then they counted... They started doing the count. And I was like, well, that's actually a really athletic cover that I never expected to see in 1983. So that move, like, was like, oh, wow, okay, cool. So there used to be disqualifications if you threw a person over the top rope. And at one point, Youngblood flung Slater towards the ring, and Slater, like, kind of, like, goes over the top. And, and so they're like, hey, hey, that should be a disqualification. Disqualification. And then the ref's like, ah, whatever. Yeah, get yeah. back in the ring. But we get... So we get, that was a, 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 like, basically, like, Royal Rumble rules, if you went over the top rope? Like, was, I don't know, but it was just, like, I think, actually, back in the day, you used to not be able to jump off the top rope. Yeah. As well. You could do off the middle rope, but you couldn't come off the top rope. So, like, there's some... That'd be the thing where, like, when... Yeah, after the rough ref bump, that's when you get your, your top rope spot. And it, exactly. And it means more because it's the top rope. Youngblood ends up getting worked over uh, quite a bit, including out on the... Outside the ring, uh, has a backbreaker on the railing, which was pretty gnarly. Uh, because those railings didn't look like they had any give at all. Oh, yeah. Those, those nice, uh, sturdy metal, sturdy metal guys. Metal railings, yeah. None of, none of these... Uh, Padded floors and padded. Exactly. <laughs> but Youngblood gets the hot tag in. Oh, yeah. I love a hot tag, man. Wahoo gets a tomahawk chop, a slam, an elbow drop. Orton gets his foot on the rope. Double team moves, sees Slater hit an elbow drop on, on, on Wahoo. And then Slater and Wahoo end up outside the ring battling. And Youngblood misses a drop kick, which sets up Orton... To get to suplex. deliver a superplex. You mean a suplex? A superplex. <laughs> I can't stand. Like I don't know. When did it become a suplex? Because in '83, it's a suplex. It was just the way Gordon Sol. It was always a suplex, but Gordon Sol really? just said it. I feel like that's suplex. Maybe, maybe it was just him, but I was. It like, was just it, him. Oh, it drives me nuts. A suplex doesn't sound menacing, and it yeah. But they hit the superplex, and Wahoo tries to make the the save attempt. Yeah, but he's like. Is he late? Is he late, though? Probably not. It really looked like he got there. And the ref was like, no, this is the finish of the match. You didn't yeah, make it like, time. Oh, we are, yeah, we're, we're short, short on time. time. Time's up. Time's yeah, up. Yeah. And then, of course, post-match, we get some more hijinks as Orton and Slater try and break Wahoo's arm with knees off the top rope. See, like, like I said, the, it's the heel kind of thing to do. Those, heel, those knees off the top rope. I believe one of the announcers talking about Dick Slater, but they said he'd fight a buzzsaw and give him the first two rounds. And it happens a couple times. They they don't say very many interesting do, do you, or fun things. Do you have any clue what that means? No, but I like it. I do too. I do too. <laughs> it's like, and give the buzzsaw the first two rounds, so that means that... Dick Slater's not good? I'm like... Uh, yeah. Is it like, I We could probably spend the rest of the evening dissecting that exactly. and arguing about it. Exactly. But uh, yeah. Fight a buzzsaw and give him the first two rounds is a, a good grandpa-ism that I have not heard. Never. If I can find out what it means, I might add it to my lexicon. 
Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so then we go back to the back. Tony Schiavone is back with Flair. Wishes Steamboat and Jay Youngblood good luck on their match. Youngblood begins talking about their match. Thankfully, Steamboat saved him because he's not a good talker at all. Yeah, that's true. Steamboat finished it off. And then we go back to Barbara Clary, who's, like you mentioned, she's with Dusty Rhodes. But we can't hear a word of this interview because some audio problems. Yeah, but Dusty looks amazing. Of course. With his, I mean, with his, his, his hair is not blonde. His hair is yellow. His hair is yellow and firmed. <laughs> and is this where he's wearing the, uh, he's got amazing glasses, his big hair, and is he wearing blue? Like a baby blue yeah, suit? Baby yeah, baby blue suit. Man. Absolutely. Looks, the man looks good. Always. So we move it on to the fifth match. We got Charlie Brown from out of town. Downtown Charlie Brown. Versus Great Kabuki. And I, I was excited to just to see somebody look like Charlie Brown on this show. Because I figured it would all be just like black shorts. Because some of these matches, like, I'm not super familiar with all of these guys. Or even familiar with some of them at all. And sometimes it'll be, everyone has like red shorts on. And I'm like, oh my god, what am I watching? But Charlie Brown uh, has a... He's not blonde, because it's yellow. He's got yeah. yellow long hair, a equally yellow long beard, and like a half of a lucha mask. It basically goes down to like where his beard and mouth would be, and then yeah. it's like cut off, and exactly. it's like black and red. And he looks like a crazy person. But everybody, like the crowd loves downtown oh, Charlie wow. Brown. Yeah. Like his pop is, is big. Like so huge. Gary Hart's also Great Kabuki's manager. This was a title versus mask match. Which is a weird... For the NWA Television Championship. But only the Television Championship's only up for the, what, first... 15 minutes of the match. Yeah, because and that has to do with them taping these things and then it being able to actually be played on television correctly, correct? I, like the, I think it's just the rules that they had back then for... A television match was that it could only it could be it had to be less than fifteen minutes. Basically, was the time okay. limit. I, I'm not real sure exactly on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little spoiler here. It's probably gonna break your heart a little bit. Charlie Brown from out of town is Jimmy Vallant, and he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 1996. If I spoiled something for you for Starcade '84, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're good. Okay. I know. I recognize that when I watched Starcade '84, I was like, that's. That's Charlie Brown without his mask. Like, or is it? Or is it? So, Great Kabuki is... is obviously the heel because he's foreign, which is, that's the way heels work. I mean, honestly, today, unfortunately, it's still the same way they work most of the time, but it was a lot worse it back gets, then because it'd be it USA the all the way through the, all the way through the 90s, uh, as soon as, yeah, you get your USA chance. It gets the heat. <laughs> it does, but Great Kabuki is rough. actually famous for being the first to blow the Asian mist. Into oh, really? Spaces. Yes. Which we still see today. We do. Which is always fun. Yeah. Always is like it uh, Bushi that does it? In, in Bushi NPW? and El Desperado. Oh, and yeah. And JPW. Yeah. So there was a story actually behind this match. Jimmy Valiant was forced to leave Jim Crockett Promotions. You mean Charlie Brown? No. Jimmy Valiant. Oh, okay. You're setting it up. I got you. He had to leave after losing a Loser Leaves Town match versus Kabuki. But he then returned under the disguise of Charlie Brown, which Kabuki suspected, but couldn't prove. So the opportunity to unmask Charlie Brown was given, and if Brown were to be revealed as Valiant, he would be suspended by the NWA for an entire year. That's so convoluted. 
Totally. <laughs> and I love it. Back in the day, like, they used to have Loser Leaves Town matches all the time. Because, because it was territory. Because they moved from territory to territory. Yeah. And then they could go to a different territory as the same character. or And then they come back as a completely different Yeah, gimmick. it wasn't televised and like, you know. Exactly. It wasn't national, so it wasn't. Like we said, the TV title could be won in the first 15 minutes. But like, literally they said the rules at the very beginning and then no one really talked about it. Like, yeah. It was just... I felt like this did match... Did he have, like, face paint on, or did he have a mask on? He had a mask on, and then he had face paint on as well, because his face is supposedly scarred. Oh, okay. Um, and that's also why he has always has his hair in front of his face and everything. I felt like this match started really strong. Yeah, there was, like, a chair spot pretty early on. I mean, just brawling all over the place. It, it was super fun. And then we got a claw hold. And then Charlie Brown did a comeback. And then we got a claw hold. And then a come and then a comeback, yeah. and then a claw hold, and then a comeback. Do you get where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah. It's, like uh, it was my my uh, my notes say claw Oriental claw because <laughs> that's what they were calling it. But it just like, like literally started off so strong, and then it just slowed to like a complete stop. And it was just like, oh my goodness, like what is going on? Yeah, everybody uh, they were just like, yeah, fighting over like inches and. Kabuki finally tries to take Charlie Brown's mask off. Yeah. Brown hits him then with a wobbly running elbow for the one, two, three. But was it before the 15 minute mark? No one really seems to know watching this show. No, they really don't. I have my time on in my notes as 12 minutes. So what you're saying is, and no. Yeah. But I don't. We don't get that though. We have no clue at this point. No. I think that maybe they they announce it later in the show. There's a match where they where they say it's for a title, and then after the match, they're like, "Oh yeah, that wasn't for the title." It's our next. Is that that's the next match? match. Okay. So after this match, some radio DJ is up in the booth with Bob and Gordon. Have no clue why. Just sure, why not? Tony's then with the heels. Bob Orton, Dick Slater talk up how great Harley Race is. Harley Race gives his little promo about. How I've been learning all about Ric Flair, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a new era. Try number two for Dusty and Barbara, but this time they're up in the booth where Bob and Gordon were. And basically his promo says that he's going to challenge the winner of the main event. Yeah, that's like the Flair for the gold. The, like uh, the Harley and Rick thing, it's all about Dusty saying, I got the winner. Exactly. Like, that's basically the whole story for the show because all the all this information that Matt is giving you is not not in this show at all. No, you got to do a deep dive to get some of this information. Yeah, I'm so. impressed by your deep dive. But we're gonna move on to the sixth match, which is that aforementioned. Why isn't this for a title match? But we got Roddy Piper versus Greg Valentine. Yep. In a dog collar match. Though this was fun. Super fun. Uh, it also, it was great because like oh, I know both of these guys. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, obviously, Roddy Piper. We all know and Rod- love Roddy Piper. He's been inducted into the Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. And Greg Valentine is actually a member of the Professional Wrestling and WWE Hall of Fames. Yeah, I've honestly probably seen Roddy Piper's performance in They Live more minutes than I've seen. I, have, I can more minutes than I've seen him in the ring. I've probably watched more, him more in movies than I have in. Well, what other wrestling. movies has he been in? Oh, he's been in all kinds of movies. Really, I've seen They Live a bunch, but 
that's my. I'm not house. saying they're good movies, but he's been in a lot of movies. Well, they live is a great movie. Exactly. So there was actually a story behind this match. Greg Valentine was the NWA United States Champion going into this match, and Piper began to pursue the title. At one point, Piper sent Valentine a cake that had a dog collar inside of it. <laughs> is there footage of this? I probably. Uh, I would love to see him cut a slice of cut cake. Cut a slice and just be like, like, what, what is, is this? this? And pull out a yeah. dog collar. And then it's covered in cake. Like, is it going to be... <laughs> exactly. Right. Sure you still want to figure it do out? Do you still want to eat that cake? Yeah. But I guess this led actually to a series of matches. But, you know, they could do the same match just over and over again because they were different places all over the place. And not everything was televised at this time. So... But for some reason, this match was not for the title. No clue why. It's, but, no, it's no DQ, no time. But it was no, no DQ. Time no time and it was a vicious, vicious match. It and was. I loved every second of when it. When was the last time there was a dog collar match? I mean, I don't know of a dog collar <laughs> match, but I know there's been You're like yeah other matches where people have been chained up. chained together or something like that. I mean, I'm sure that they're like CZW is doing things like that, but like... I don't know that you don't get gimmicks like this anymore. And this is still pretty, like, it's pretty brutal and fun, but, like, it's not a hardcore match. I guess it's a hardcore match for 83. It's a hardcore match for 83, definitely. One of the first spots that I really loved in this match, uh, Roddy actually wrapped the chain around the post. Yeah, that was great. To trap Valentine in the corner. It was very uh, levy, levy, lever and pulley type thing. No, it was really great. I was like, ah. Like, do you think there's only a couple things you can do with a chain? And I guess there is, but they always look great. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Valentine finally gets on the offense, begins to smash Roddy's ear with the chain just over and over again. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's the story of this match, basically, is that Basically. Because uh, Roddy Piper ends up losing 75% of his hearing in that ear because of this match. Are you real? Yes. Probably one of the best things I remember Gordon Soli saying was talking about the psychology in this match was Roddy was losing his he, oh, hit the loss yeah. of equilibrium yeah because because of the because ear of the ear issue. inner ear issue which uh, potentially is true based on the information you just gave exactly because <laughs> Piper was being very wobbly getting up and really had no balance yeah finally did a they did a double vertical soup well they did a souple. Piper reversed a souple for a double KO spot where they basically just kind of knocked each other out and they laid there for a few seconds. Valentine got up first, hooked in the sleeper hold with the chain wrapped around Piper, which was pretty gnarly looking. Did he bleed from the ear? Was there any like, yes. blading well, that, in the, match? That's the thing. is There was no blading. The reason that Piper ended up losing hearing and everything is because Piper would, they found out while they were wrestling different matches and stuff, that he would bleed from his ear easily. Oh, yeah. Like, literally. If just like, like, a, like how it. people like are susceptible to nosebleeds and exactly. stuff. Exactly. Like, for some reason, he would just ear? bleed real easily out of his ear. Oh. So, I they would never, always... I have never bled out of my ear. He would always, like, be like, ah, just hit me in my ear. It'll start bleeding. It'll look good. Oh, that God. Kind of that's so... But it just got... Yeah. It got that's little... so brutal. He's like, oh, if you just hit me in my ear, it'll be fine. Exactly. Like, yeah, we'll get some blood. It's like, my God. So, I mean, so Piper, yeah, Piper's, like, blood is just, like, covering the side of his face. It's, but, yeah, it's ear. real. It's not, it was, like, his, uh, his, like, Achilles heel that he knew, but he was, like, ah, just, just hit, just hit me in the air. It'll look he's, good on. He's doing it for the show, man. Yeah. Doing it for the show. For the man. love of the game, right? 
Valentine. I think I'd prefer that he bladed than, than, than do that to his ear. Uh, so Valentine hits an elbow drop off the rope, uh, goes up for a second attempt, but then gets yanked off the middle rope by the chain. Piper yanks him off. Mm-hmm. And then Piper just starts going nuts, wailing on him with the ground chain, just ground and pound. And then out of nowhere, just hooks the leg. One, two, three. Match over. And you're new, <laughs> which they say. Yeah, <laughs> Gordon and Bob are like a new champion. And like, the, the yeah. match wasn't for the title, I, I guess. I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe they said that it was. Like, literally, there was weird miscommunications this entire show. And yeah, like, well, do you think that the um, announcers, like, were given notes ahead of time on the show not. this old? Definitely not. Yeah. They were literally watching, watching it as and it was happening. It, yeah. and which I honestly... I don't know. I don't know if I prefer it, but like, I don't think that they should know the like that announcers should know the finish. Like, as far as I know my s- opinion about it now, about what's happening now. Anyway. Here's the thing: nowadays, I know some. I mean, I know WWE guys know what. Yeah, but you can tell that they know because they're. But I believe I remember. If I remember correctly, I I think Kevin Kelly does not know. Who is the finish? There was an interview, or maybe recently. No, like, maybe, I feel like maybe it's not Kevin Kelly. Maybe it's the Japanese. The Japanese they have no, they don't know anything. They know nothing. That's at what all. it is. Kevin Kelly will go and talk to people and find out uh, if there's anything that as to what they're trying to yeah, tell what or story whatever. They're yeah, to tell. I don't know. If, I think he knows the finish. I think he does know the finish. Now that now that you said it, it's the Japanese, the Japanese guys. The Japanese guys. That's just the no style clue. or whatever. I can't imagine how difficult that would be, just being in the dark, showing up. I mean, they obviously know stuff about the wrestlers. Like exactly. But after this match, we get another post-match where the heel gets their heat back as Valentine starts pounding back on Roddy. But yeah, he Roddy, was definitely the heel. But Roddy literally, like, just gets up like nothing happened. Like, after, like, Valentine finally just quits yeah. and rolls out. And then no Piper just, like, stands up and is like, all right, all right cool. See you guys. I yeah. there's, there's beer to drink. And then another fun Gordon Soley quote. Piper is a man and five yards wide. What is that? What the yeah. fuck does that I would, mean? I would say that um, Greg the Valentine is a much wider man. Exactly. Yeah, he looks like he looks like a refrigerator, and he also has like I don't know if he's got a big head or just the world's tiniest face. It's like they shrunk his face into the middle of his head. He's got like a very small mouth, and all his features are like really small, but it's like heads normal size or maybe too big. I don't know. He's a very uh, specific looking person. So we go end up back with Flair in the back. Tony's back there, does an interview. Basically says he's got Wahoo's back anytime, anywhere. And since Wahoo took on Slater and Orton for him. And then head back up to Gordon and Bob. And Don Cornoodle is there with him, who's a former tag champ himself. Ends up wishing Steamboat and Youngblood good luck on their match. Which made not a whole lot of sense because Cornoodle was a heel yeah, at the time. Yeah, I mean, every, like, every one of these interviews is uh, good luck. Yeah. Basically, they're like, basically, well, we're going to go out there, we're going to try our best, and then it's good luck. That is the entire interview. So we're going to move on to our seventh match. We get Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood versus the Briscoe Brothers, Jack and Jerry, for the NWA World Tag Team Championship. And we got Angelo Mosca, who, remember, got hurt in like the second oh, match, yeah. as the special referee. I wonder if that will come into, a, into play in this match. So Ricky Steamboat... Uh, is a member of the NWA, Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. Uh, Jack and Jerry Briscoe grew up in Blackwell, Oklahoma, and they both went to Oklahoma State University 
on wrestling scholarships. You got you have uh, any Jack and Jerry um, in the wild stories? I know you're a big OSU man. I you don't. Got your OSU shirt on. I assume they probably don't live in Oklahoma at the moment. No, I mean Jim Ross is I mean, still here somewhere. Right? Jack Jack might, but Jerry, I feel like he probably lives up in Connecticut since he still yeah. works for WWE in the back. Uh, Jack's a member of the Professional WWE and Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, and Jerry is a member of the WWE Hall of Fame. Jerry, most people will know him as the Corporate Stooge. Yeah. If even if you don't know him as a pro- prolific wrestler, yeah, if you watched any Attitude Era stuff, you recognize him immediately. Exactly. Basically, the story behind these two teams had kind of been just trading the belt back and forth over the last few months, and Starcade seemed like a good place for the culmination. Of their feud. couple notes that I thought right off the hand. Steamboat, I had never seen a match. I have never seen a Steamboat match either, which is pretty sad. And but I, of course, we know all know who he is. Exactly. And I now know why people talk about him as one of the best. Yeah, he's definitely, like, so far in the show. And honestly, maybe on the whole show, he is definitely, like, the. he's got the best look. Exactly. Like, his body... He just looks. He looks great. Exactly. He looks like you could throw him, throw him in like the ring tomorrow, and he would, and he would look great next to anybody. I agree completely. Agree completely. Uh, the Briscoes, great technical wrestlers, as they should be, since they were actual wrestlers. Oh well, yeah, and OSU there. is a school that is known to this day for I its mean, wrestling. It's like, right? Fifty something. Is it? Is it OSU? Fifty something national titles or something like that yeah. in wrestling. Yeah, it's like. It's a big-time wrestling school. But during this match, we see Jack Briscoe show off that amateur expertise, doing a butterfly suplex with and applying a bridge, which was Yeah, this might be the match beautiful. where we finally get some wrestling. We get some uh, leapfrogs. Yeah. Like, there's, some, there's a lot more movement from what Definitely. I remember. Uh, Jack gets a hip toss, but holds on for a key lock, which is basically a short-arm scissor, which was really cool. Steamboat then powers out. By lifting Jack up in the air and slamming him on his back, which is a which is a something we see all the time nowadays when someone has like an armbar on, yeah, yeah, you or a triangle, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Jack gets slammed in the ground, and then you see Jack off in the background just like selling like crazy. It was great. <laughs> Steamboat gets the hot tag to Youngblood, but the Briscoes are able to get back control with a couple of vertical suplexes, and then Jerry puts Youngblood in the Oklahoma roll, but another kick at it too. But Jerry gets up and he's mad at Angelo Mosca because he only counted two. He's like, that's three. You know, get, yeah, getting yeah. mad at the ref type thing. And that leads to Steamboat getting the hot tag. And the finish sees Steamboat press slam. He like throws Youngblood off the ropes, press slam him over his head, and then just drop him straight onto, onto Jerry for the win. And new tag team champions. All right, I'm looking at my notes, and I'm like, I got to get better at taking notes. I took a lot of them, but I'm like, oh, man. You got anything about this match? Oh, man, I've like I said, I watched it a while ago. Your notes are very good. I do have a note from the previous um, interview where Wahoo says they're going to they're gonna take the belt back to uh, Charlotte Flair, and that's when I realized that Charlotte Flair's name is Charlotte instead of her real name, which I believe is Ashley, because... Charlotte Flair. That is, They're from Charlotte, Carolina. That is why. So, yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah. And I thought that was uh, pretty funny. It's like, ah, oh, that makes sense. But post match, once again, 
The losing team gets their tries to get their heat back. Mosca helps the champs clear the ring. And then all of a sudden, we get the credits for the show. The credits. The credits ran. I was like, wait a second. Don't, don't we have... Oh, yeah, it was an intermission with a... It was like they did some thank yous and some credits. Wait a second. Wait a second. We, st- we still have Flair and Race. I'm like, yeah. that, that's the reason we're here. Why are we doing I wonder credits? if they did that just for time. They're like, hey, if we do the credits now, then like... Then... People will, will watch the credits if we basically do them now. That's basically yeah. what it was for. Or maybe it's a time thing, too. I don't know. Like, Possibly. Uh, then we head back to the locker room, and Tony, we find out that Charlie Brown did indeed win the NWA Television Championship at is this it, point. Is it even worth winning a belt if you can't hold it above your head after the match? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> it's 10 pounds, guys. 10 pounds. <laughs> Piper drops by and says he wants the shot at Valentine's U.S. title, which still don't know why he didn't win it in the yeah. previous match. And then Steamboat and Youngblood show up. They're beaming about how good it is to be champions once again. And I guess we still haven't wasted enough time, so Bob and Gordon just kind of start talking. Yeah. And uh, maybe they're, I think they're, it's, they're waiting for the intermission to be over. I to mean, start they're the, literally uh, wasting time as, start... they're, as they're putting the steel cage up for the main event. Oh, yeah, it's a steel cage match. And then we get Barbara in the crowd with Dusty Rhodes again with a bunch of lovely ladies on his arms. Oh, of course. With a little Dusty Rhodes promo being you know once again he's like it doesn't matter who wins i got him that kind of thing that's my that's, you're dusty yeah that's my I'm dusty to, impression i have to practice my dusty the best you're probably ever gonna get. <laughs> and then we get the worst I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna give it to you right now the worst part of the show oh the, the star spangled the star spangled banner it's by a, james tiny weeks i didn't know i, I do not know james tiny weeks I don't I know. Hate, I, I didn't even want to look up who this guy was. Maybe he was. Maybe he was pretty prolific. Maybe he had a pretty good single or two. Maybe I don't want to listen to him. Yeah, his especially voice, after this yeah, rendition his, it was, of the Star Spangled Banner. It was pretty poor. Uh, it was horrible. So I do definitely don't miss those. If from... you have not watched the show and you're listening to us going, should I watch the show? If you get, we'll get to, to this that part, later. if you get to this part, <laughs> you can. I'm going to tell you right now. Skip the national anthem. Just just skip it. Your ears will thank you. Yeah, he's... Yeah. yeah. He's not... I don't even know that he's singing. So let's move on to the main event, our eighth match of the night. Ric Flair versus Harley Race for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in a steel cage match with Gene Kanitsky as a special referee. Who is Gene Kanitsky? Gene Kanitsky is a member of the NWA Professional Wrestling and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, and he was a former heavyweight champion himself. So for, the, for the NWA? For the NWA. About how long was it? Was, so I assume it was a, quite a while ago. It was probably at least 10 years before. Oh. I, didn't, I didn't do a deep dive into Kanitsky. So at the time, this is Ric Flair's had the belt twice already, right? He's only had it once. He's only had it one time? So. Let's talk about Ric Flair real fast. He's a member of the NWA Professional Wrestling, the only two-time... WWE inductee for what as for an individual and, and as four a four horseman, horseman. Yeah. Uh, and the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, and then Harley Race is a member of the NWA. He's a two-time professional wrestling Hall of Famer as an individual and as a tag team with Larry Hennig, who's Kurt Hennig's father, and Kurt Hennig you know as Mr. Perfect. WCW, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. So the story behind this match. 
Flair had won the belt in 1981, about a year and a half, two years previous to, to Starrcade, but then lost it to Harley Race in early 1983. And it was kind of a political thing behind the scenes because Flair had won it in Kansas City, where Harley Race was a big deal. Oh, yeah. And he didn't want to go down. The, well, he didn't win it off of Harley. He won it off of Dusty Rhodes, actually, in 81. The crowds just weren't really... They were, they were still Harley Race people. Yeah. And Harley Race ran the Kansas City promotion, basically. Kind of the NWA got together and was like, let's take it off Flair, let's put it back on Harley, make some more money, you know, that kind of thing. But then they decided, oh, we're going to have this big event in Ric Flair country. So we're, what should we do? We're going to, not to give away the finish. Hell yeah. This, all of this has already happened, so. We, we named Starcade 83 a Flair for, for the, the gold. gold. So yeah, like. I, Pretty sure we know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's a good thing that they don't keep that up. It's like, exactly. that's like, yeah, nothing like giving away the finish in the title of the pay-per-view. Or the tagline of the pay-per-view. So, as I mentioned earlier, Harley Race put out this $25,000 bounty on Ric Flair. And Bob Orton and Dick Slater had attacked Flair, inflicting what appeared to be a career-ending neck injury. And collected the bounty after Flair announced his retirement. But it was all a ruse. And Flair would return for this match. How old is Flair here? Don't know. Like 30? I would say... Like early 30s? Probably late 20s, early 30s at this point. Yeah. yeah. I'd say so. The man's always looked 48. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Until recently, and now he looks like a corpse. But yes. like even like you know, 10, 15 years ago, he still basically looked 48. So what do we get to begin with? Spotched Zarathustra. What is that? The Flair entrance. It's the music. Oh, we get entrance music for the first time. That's true. In what, this is, what did you show. call it? It's, it's the 2001 song. Spock Zarathustra. Oh God, it's the 2001 song. It's the 2001. It's the 2000. But like, it's I, by Strauss. I, I did not know that. Uh, yeah, I did definitely not know the title of that. Deep dive. Deep, deep dive. dive. Deep dive. I I love 2001, but but you could tell that they were still trying to figure out kind of the showmanship of doing the entrances and everything. Because he's the only one that got music the entire show. In Did they not use a song for? There Harley? was no song for Harley Race. Okay. And the thing is, Harley Race. A... They, they they put the camera on Harley Race, and then he just kind of stands there, and he's kind of like looking around, like, is yeah. it, is it time for me to walk? Yeah, do is my it time thing for me now. To walk there yet? But Ric Flair comes out in his in his big robe, right? Yes, the big robe. I mean, Harley Race comes out in a robe as well. Yeah. There's some fanfare. They've started to figure out a little bit of the showmanship. Definitely not to the level that we have now. So the match begins. These guys wanted to go after each other. From, you know, ding, ding, ding. Like, they wanted to go after. Kaminsky just kept pulling them apart. Like, if they tried to they tried a pin attempt, Kaminsky, yeah. Kaminsky was, like, down there, like, putting his hand under the shoulders, like, uh, his shoulder's not all the way down. I can't count. I can't yeah, count. Yeah, yeah. And then he'd finally be like, okay, one. And like, so there was, like, tons of one counts here. I'm gonna let you in on. I'm gonna let you in on a not very secret secret. I hated that Gene Kaninsky was in this match. <laughs> he ruins part of this match. So about ten minutes in, the cage finally comes in play. Basically, we we've had all this actual wrestling happening, but they start ramming each other's heads into the fence. Flair finally gets gets on the offense, does some styling and profiling. Snapmares race down from the for a knee drop from the ropes. Hits a pile driver, a butterfly suplex. Everything's a two count at this point. 
some more Kaniski getting in the way of the match because that's what Kaniski does in this match. Flair locks in the figure four, and it was really rare back then for anyone to reverse the figure four. Harley Race gets the ropes on this one. But is that a reversal? I mean, he did turn it over oh, okay. and then got, oh, to the ropes. got to the ropes. All right. Race makes the comeback, hitting a headbutt, a vertical suplex, more two two counts. There was actually more pin attempts, I think, in this match than there was the entire rest of the show. Had Rick started uh, bleeding yet? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Both the, both the, of them ended up breaking open from the cage. You know, basically hitting their head on the cage and whatnot. Yeah, I like that. Uh, one of the announcers says that uh, he's using the cage as a tag team partner at some point. <laughs> Love it. As one of the one of the other few like standout things that they said. Also, Crimson Mask is is a nice. Uh, Nice term for. I wonder if that was the first time color. Crimson Mask had ever been used because it's a it's a mainstay. Yeah. In in the wrestling lexicon at this point. It's just like the yeah the bleached hair looks great for for blading. I really feel like that's why they like some wrestlers do the bleach blonde hair. Oh yeah, totally. Because they did. You, you can see it better. Like if if you're going out there with like darker hair or even like like a light brown, it's just not gonna it's not gonna pop. Exactly. What's the, why are you gonna cut yourself then if not everybody can see it? I agree completely. <laughs> At one point, uh, Race is choking Flair up against the cage wall. Kanitsky like pulls Race away by the hair. It's like, what are you doing? Like, let them go at it. Kanitsky's just like, this isn't wrestling. Type yeah, it thing. doesn't. Does it? It doesn't even feel like he's even got a particular side either. He just kind of no. He, he just, just kept getting in the, in the way. way. Yeah. Race Race ends up get hooking a headlock. Somehow ends up. He goes to headbutt Flair, but he misses Flair and hits Kaninsky, who then falls to the ground. And literally, I yelled, that's what you get. <laughs> I was in this was thing. That your one, was that your biggest pop of I the night? I was popping for it. I was like, that's what you get. And Flair takes advantage, hits the body press off the top rope. Oh, man. And they both, and I think if the finish was actually supposed to be correct, I think Kaninsky was actually in the wrong places again. Which doesn't shock me really yeah. that much. Because I feel like they were supposed to tumble over Kanitsky. Oh, yeah. And he was you. kind of in, he was off a little bit. And so they did, but not very well. He couldn't have been any more off than uh, Ric Flair's press off the top rope. Yeah. Somehow, Flair gets the one, two, three on the body press off the top it feels, rope. It feels pretty abrupt, for sure. I mean, I felt like the match was it had some awesome storytelling. Yeah, there was some awesome selling, you know, the blading and the, the, the but the finish did seem very anticlimactic. Yeah, there were like there there wasn't. I mean, was that a finisher that Ric Flair ever used? That's or the thing. That, like, like, but that's the thing about a lot of this show was that. I mean, when did he start to do the finishes? Just kind yeah. of came out of nowhere. Sometimes. Yeah, when did he start to do the the woo? But I mean, back this. Well, the calling, thing is, he, all this he actually did do it, but the mic. They didn't have the ring the ring mic'd up yeah. as much, so he was doing it. And he did, did he, but the crowd just wasn't into it dance? as much. He did his styling and profiling oh, okay. thing earlier in the match. Yeah, he he did it for like two seconds, and I was like, oh, it was like, there, yeah, there's, like, there's the first styling yeah, and profile. I was like, like sweet. The, the genesis of it. But basically, this match ended up being the torch being passed from the seven-time champion of Harley Race to the guy who would carry the NWA. And ultimately, WCW for a very long time. Uh, the match ended up winning uh, Match of the Year in 1983 from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. How old is Dave Meltzer? 
this point, I believe he's in the 60s. I think he was like 25 or so whenever he's, he started this. Oh, okay. That's crazy. Yeah. The, uh, Ric Flair was like 34 at this time. Nice. I looked it up. All the faces start running in to celebrate Flair. And there's, you know, just big celebration in the ring. It's a brand new era. Brand new era. <laughs> you know, his wife makes it into the ring, gives him a hug, even though he's all bloody. I'm like, I, literally, I'm watching this with my wife. My wife goes, Mm-mm. That was you, not nah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nope, don't think so. But everyone finally makes their way to the back. Tony Schiavone's back there. He interviews Rick. And then Dusty, of course, shows up, challenges him to the, to the title. And it's, I guess it's for Starcade 84. Like, seems kind of weird to make a challenge for, like, one, one year from year. today. Yeah. I know you're still going to have the belt. So one year from today, me and you. Like, I, I didn't quite get that, but, you know, it's... It was a different It was a different era. Different era. It was the beginning of a brand new era. And then we go to Barbara, who's over in the heel locker room, staying there with Harley Race. And she just opens up and goes, I'm sorry. And then Harley Race starts talking. It's just like... <laughs> Like, what are you sorry about? Like, it's not your fault. Harley says he's gonna he's gonna fight long and hard to get his title back, but basically he only got the title back one more time, which technically isn't even recognized. Yeah, at was, this point. was it one of the, like a off off camera a win in his hometown kind of thing? Basically, it was. I think it was actually in like Australia or something like that. Oh, it really? Was like, for like basically they did a title change just to pop the crowd to make to sell more tickets for the next show. Yeah, that kind of thing. Then after that, go back to Tony with Flair, Steamboat, and Youngblood, and they're still all celebrating. Yeah, that's... they're pouring champagne on Rick. And that's our show, basically. And it ends with Flair, Steamboat, Youngblood, all new champions. Charlie Brown is a new champion. It's a good a good night for the faces. Exactly. What did you think of this show? Just kind of overall thoughts. It was fine. <laughs> it was like, it was not the most engaging it was it's fun to watch older stuff and see how things evolve i would say that like the rick flair match is uh worth watching for history alone but the the piper dog collar match is probably the most entertaining when it comes down to it i enjoyed this show overall yeah there was a couple subpar matches earlier in the card but the last two matches even with kaniski being in the way still not over it it's gonna be a while they were really awesome. I felt like they did the post-match heel getting their heat back thing a little bit too much. Because you would kind of think Starcade would kind of be the culmination of a lot of these feuds. Because, I mean, that's... I, but I think that's more of a... Because we think of... We think of WrestleMania as the culmination of feuds. And, everything has been and then towards. everything leads up to WrestleMania, basically. Yeah. That's what the year... That's as wrestling fans. That's what we're yeah. Kind well, that's of, how it, what evolves into. This is the this is the beginning of it. That's so, what you know, we're. It's it's definitely worth a watch for that. But matches worth checking out. I would at least do the last three. The Steamboat Youngblood Briscoes match was just a yeah. a good wrestling match. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. Well, I think it's time that we smark it up. Oh man. So what are some what are give me a couple favorite moments of the night? Um, the Rufus Shake, one of my favorite moments, has nothing to do with wrestling uh, at all, but it's at the hour and eighteen minute mark where there's a guy in the crowd and he has a shirt with a picture of his baby on it. 
And I thought that, that no, he's got. I think he's got a big like trucker hat on and glasses, but he just has a white shirt. That, That's the eighties. Right it there. looks yeah, it looks like something you'd get made at like Walgreens in the nineties. But I guess they were uh, putting babies on T-shirts then too. I imagine it was his baby. Uh, I can't imagine it was not his baby on his T-shirt. One but, of my favorite moments. I, I kind of talked about it earlier. Just some of the. I would see some moves that like totally just didn't expect to see in a nineteen eighty three match, and that Scott McGee, Mark Lewin. Where he did this like step over. I, I mentioned it earlier. Just, oh, he did the step over. over and then did the leg drop on. Mm-hmm. It was I've never seen that move before, but it was super cool. Yeah, and especially in the eighties, like it was. It just looked more athletic than anything. Yeah, else. there's a lot of stuff that is like like there's a lot of wrist control exactly. on this show. So anytime that you do get any move that looks moderately modern, it, it feels real good. Exactly. Let's move on to favorite match of the night. Man, I don't My, mine's definitely Steamboat Young the, Steamboat Young the, the tag team championship match. Steamboat was just like I said earlier. Yeah, I had never seen him before, and now I know why people talk about him in the way they talk about him. Yeah, he exactly. Just, he just popped off the screen, and the Briscoes are amazing as well. Jay Youngblood was obviously the weak link of that entire match, and I felt like he still brought it as well. So. Yeah, everybody kind of just looks like. A, a fit guy. None of them look like what people think of when they think of wrestlers. Steamboat is the guy that looks like a wrestler. Like Steamboat, you could pluck Steamboat out of Starcade '83 and put him in wrestling today, yeah. and he wouldn't look out of place. No, he'd look great. Do you have a different favorite match? Oh, I mean, one? yeah, that was definitely the best uh, technical match. The Piper Valentine one was really fun. It's also fun because, like, absolutely, you know who those guys are. Like, I mean, I if, as soon as you see Greg Valentine, you're like. I've seen that guy before. And it's fun to see matches like that because you don't see uh, any collar matches these days. You see plenty of cage matches and chairs and tables and all that. But the dog collar on was fun. And I thought that they did more with it than I would have assumed with, you know, a chain. How about the most disappointing moment, <laughs> match? Flair's crossbody. <laughs> After it was over, I was might have been my biggest pop of the night outside of the guy with the baby shirt. was the, was like, What? He got like a third of that crossbody to win the belt. That definitely can be a disappointment. I'm going to go, I actually was disappointed in the Charlie Brown match. Like it started off so well that it just dragged in the last five minutes of the match that I was just like, can we just finish this match please? I was fine with it because I was just very into Charlie Brown's look and like his selling and also like I think that he I mean, had some of the biggest pops of the night. People were I way think, behind him. I think other than Flair, he probably had the second biggest pops yeah. of the night. I mean, I, he's also I completely the, agree. Yeah, I mean, those are the those two guys. Uh, him and the Great Kabuki were definitely the most gimmick looking outside of the assassins, but. The assassins are pretty boring looking yeah, for guys with masks boring, on. Definitely. But Charlie Brown looks like a crazy person, and in the ring, he acts like a crazy person. Any surprising moments? Anything like just like surprise you? Uh, probably just the sheer amount of like like the blading in the Abdul the Butcher match because I haven't watched a lot of Abdul the Butcher matches. But then it's like it just happens immediately, and they don't. Bo- it's not like they're hiding it or anything. They're just seriously putting the fo the foreign object directly into each other's head. Yeah, I, I'm kind of right along the lines with you, but I'm gonna actually go Piper Valentine. Like, like as bloody as the as the Abby Cologne match was. Yeah, I felt like Piper Valentine was even more vicious. Yeah, and just just even a, I mean, it was just a better overall match as well. Oh, they, definitely. Used, the other match was was just an excuse for some blood, and because basically. the uh, I did love that pulled out 
over the top, over the uh, overhead um, camera. The overhead camera looked that great, camera and I was not real. expecting it at all. And they I didn't use the, it a lot. The, they didn't overuse it. I loved all the blood stains. On yeah, the it was crazy. Well, it's like a light blue, like matte, and yeah. it's all fa- it looks all faded out because the you know the way the camera, the technology at the time, so the blood looks particularly gross. And it's basically every match had a little bit of blood in it. So by by the end, when you're getting match. the top view of the flare match, it just looks like a bloodbath. And final one here we got for smarking it up. Performer of the night. Oh, man. Obviously, Steamboat is probably one of the most talented guys that was in the ring that evening. As far as entertaining goes, I'm still I'm still a Charlie Brown fan. And I maybe I'll never watch a, a match of his again that is fun, but I was just like, oh, I'm so used to a bunch of guys coming out all with the same shorts on, trying to figure out who's who, and it's all about risk control. But this guy's coming out, and he's very performative, and he looks like a freak. So, it, like, a good change of pace. I'm going to actually go with Harley Race. Oh, yeah? I felt like Harley Race, he, 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 did the, he did the right thing. And, I mean, there's a good way of going out as a champion and everything. And I felt like he put his all into the match. Like, I thought he was just great in the match. Could totally see why he had been a seven-time champion at that time. Just everything about the match, just the psychology of it everything. Even with Kaniski getting in the way. Yeah. Like, it was played real well. And, like, Harley Race sold, like, even when Kaniski, like, grabbed him by the hair and pulled him off, like, Harley Race played it, like, perfectly. Just like, get off of me. Like, just wanting to just attack Flair. Like, you could just see that he just wanted to yeah. get in Flair the entire time. So When did he retire? Uh, he kept wrestling until until the 90s. He, oh, yeah. Yeah, he was even in WCW. Oh, yeah, he, did, yeah, the, he was. Yeah, early, early WCW. Yeah. That's so crazy. He, they all, he looked like such a dad at the time. So that wraps up Starcade '83. Now we're going to bring you a little bit farther back into the history of wrestling. The dusty finish. Wrestling has been around as long as there have been things to fight over. The Bible and the Mahabharata both contain wrestling references. But to understand the origins of professional wrestling, we head to the American colonies. To fight fair, the two combatants would box, but they could agree to a rough-and-tumble match, and there were no rules to those. The objective, though, was the same. Disfigure or mutilate your opponent. Tearing or biting of the ears, lips, fingers, even genitals were all fair game, but the most popular way was gouging of the eyes. That all changed during the American Civil War. Traveling carnivals and their athletic shows would bring a change that its roots are still there in professional wrestling. Well, I appreciate everyone joining us this week for Wrestling History X. That's episode one. Here's to many, many more. But you can come back next week, episode two. Starcade 84. Starcade 84. The Million Dollar Challenge. I love that because nobody had a million dollars. In, in 1984. But we'll talk about that uh, when we get to it. So the music from this uh, week's show at the beginning, we played a, the theme music from Starcade, which was actually written by Frank Stallone. Like, I believe, yes, you are correct in thinking <laughs> that that is Sylvester's brother. I'm going to say the name again. Spotch Zarathustra by Strauss. As we like to play the champion's music as we, as we head out. You can always hit us up on our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com. 
or find us on Twitter, Wrestling Histo That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>